When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast. Manchester City send a statement in the title race with a 5-0 thumping of West Brom, but has Big Sam bitten off more than he can chew with the baggies this time around? The Socek show continues as West Ham edge into the Champions League places by beating Crystal Palace, and Newcastle's negativity continues as they were beaten yet again, with Steve Bruce sounding like a broken record after the game. We've got a packed Premier League podcast for you today, looking back across all of last night's top flight action, as well as previewing tonight's fixtures. The Tom as Tuchel era starts at Chelsea as they welcome Wolves to Stamford Bridge. Manchester United can regain top spot if they can beat basement boys Sheffield United. Burnley beat the streak last week. Now they face Dean Smith's determined Aston Villa and a battle at the bottom too as Brighton take on Fulham. It's all happening on Football Social Daily. Your lockdown listen when it comes to the Premier League. Seven days a week, a brand new show for you. So hit subscribe and that way you can keep right up to date with this intriguing top flight season. I'm Niall McCorn and on Football Social Daily, punditry duties today, a man who's getting all too used to this losing feeling, Marley Anderson. Hi Marley, how's it going? <laughs> uh, you, well, that's an understatement, mate. Um, hello. <laughs> Another one last night, but I'm sure, I'm sure I'll get to talk about that in about five minutes' time. Uh, I want to know what you're doing for therapy. Maybe we'll come on to it in a little bit. Uh, <laughs> we've also got Ian Brannan, who is a Leeds fan, so no rubbing it in, Ian. Marley's suffered enough. Um, what what do you say to a Newcastle United fan after they've won the Champions League? <laughs> I don't know. What's the joke? Go on, punchline. Turn your Xbox off. That's as close as you're ever going to get. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Steve Bruce couldn't even do it on that. <laughs> <laughs> the worst thing about this, Marley, is that Ian lives in Sunderland and supports Leeds. So you've got a double whammy today. <laughs> it's like he's the worst person to ever ever be on the podcast. Oh, perfect. <laughs> this moment just, in time, just, isn't it? Just the, the way it works out, eh? The way it works out. Why do you live in Sunderland, Ian? <laughs> well, it's a long story. I won't bore you with it, but uh, I used to work in Sunderland, and uh, right. I fell in love. Now have a family in Sunderland. Hundred <laughs> percent. That was always going to be the reason. Yeah. All right. I thought the government might have been paying you or something. <laughs> oh yeah, there is that. <laughs> right. Enough of this. 
loads to go through today, so we may as well jump straight into last night's affairs. And if this was match of the day, the game we're about to discuss would also be top of the running order because it finished 5-0 to Manchester City. They travelled to the Hawthorns to take on West Bromwich Albion, who have got an uphill battle to stay in the Premier League, that's for sure. Manchester City made a statement last night, even though it's only West Bromwich Albion, Ian, to win 5-0 away from home and really cement yourselves in that title picture by going back top of the league. A big win for Pep Guardiola's side last night. A massive win, and it seems only two minutes ago that we were, we were talking about um, what's happening at Man City, and has Pep Guardiola lost his touch? And he certainly has not, because I think since December time until now, they are the form team in the Premier League. They're absolutely flying. They've got their act together. John Stones has really um, started contributing. The team itself it seems to have galvanised, and I know we're going to talk about Cancelo a bit more um, in a few moments, but um, he has you know been a great addition to the squad and has really. Got got them moving and they're firing on all cylinders and that's despite not really having an out and out striker that we've mentioned before you know that their attacking options are fairly limited but the goals clearly are flowing mm. from all around the team now they've got they've got their mojo back absolutely flying and for West Brom yeah. West Brom it was a great stat that was on uh, the end of match of the day last night they they've conceded more goals than any team in Europe uh, in in the top leagues, so it's just it's you know, Big Sam I think does have his work cut out definitely. I think they are almost goners. Yeah, we'll come on to West Brom and Big Sam in a second, but just kind of carrying on the Manchester City tact for the time being. Um, Ian's absolutely right, Marley. Without Kevin De Bruyne, without a recognised striker playing through the centre, Manchester City still got the job done. And, and although some may caveat it saying, well, it's only West Brom and Manchester United play Sheffield United tonight. So, you know, th- these should be easy pickings for these top teams. You still got to get the job done. But the way they did it, the way they played, the goals they scored, it's now their best winning run in all competitions for over three years. So if there is a time to hit form in this peculiar Premier League season, this is a good time to do it. Yeah, hundred percent. They're um, they're they're starting to hit that gear where they were they were, or it seems like it since they were in like two thousand eighteen. You know when they just were absolutely relentless and and mm. never, you know, barely conceded a goal, scored loads every week, and it's it's looking like that again. Um, and it's it's arguably even better this time because they're doing it without a striker. Um, Jesus was available but just wasn't uh, picked last night. Simple. Simple as that, and as a result, I think Man City's movement, the the fluidity was so much better, um, and you know it's just far far too much for West Brom. I think the game was summed up when I think West Brom were four 0 down, and Sam Allardyce took off a striker and put on a centre back to stop it being really embarrassing. <laughs> um, he took I think he took Robinson off and put on another another centre back to to stop it being eight nine ten nil because it could have been anything. It really could. Um, West Brom. The mm. one thing you can't do against Man City is, is concede first. Um, sorry, concede early. Um, and even though West Brom had a good start to the game, they actually could have went ahead after that sort of goal mouth scramble after mm. a couple of minutes. Um, yeah, you know that that just kind of annoyed Man City. It seemed like you know they they tickled uh, tickled the beast kind of thing, and it was like right, okay, <laughs> no, right, okay, you know we're gonna absolutely hammer you now because you know you've had your chance, you've you've blew it, and you know five minutes later. I think it's Gundogan that scores the first, isn't it? And then simple as that, they yeah. they just rolled in five or six. Gundogan looked like a, a cross between Yaya Toure and Kevin De Bruyne with with brown hair rather than blonde hair, and, uh, and he a just bossed. It's a frightening yeah, thought. Yeah, he just bossed it. He was he was amazing. He summed up yeah. how how City are in this uh, this few uh, few games. They've been absolutely just tanking everyone. Yeah, he's been brilliant. 
Ilkay Gundogan, I think his sixth goal in 10 games last night. Um, he's in a great run of form and long may it continue from a Manchester City perspective. Another player, Marley, who's been amazing, particularly as a number eight, um, playing almost a Philip Lahm role. He's been operating Joao Cancelo as a number eight um, and it seems to be really working for City. Yeah, he's, um, he's even when he was going through the poor, the poor spell of his career where he couldn't quite get his place in the team and, and couldn't hold Kyle Walker out of it I think he always proved that he could see a pass like a ridiculously good passer for for a, a standard right back you know he's, he's progressive he can see passes ahead of him and he got he's not scared he gets into spaces um, and it's almost like I was thinking about Man City's shape last night and uh, you know they've got a back four but when they're in possession, a lot of the time it's almost like a two-four-four. Like a, you know, we're used to a four-four-two with the the back four, the midfield four, and then the two strikers staying up there. But Man City turn into your two centre backs. The midfielders become the wingers, or or even the you know a, a four centre midfielders kind of thing. And then they've got the four attackers up front. The centre midfielders go mm-hmm. to be um, to be strikers almost, like Gundogan was last night, and the wingers stay wide or or you know rotate with everyone and it's just so hard to mark and so hard to cope with because you know nobody marks a right back like you can't it's not normal to to man mark a right back out of a game but that's what people are going to have to start doing with Cancelo the winger on the other side I think it might have been Snodgrass last night or or Diangana or Pereira whoever it was they have to go with um with the right back, this Cancelo, because he's a game changer, mm. and he he proved it last night by being one of the most influential players. Scored a goal, mm. um, got an assist, did everything. So he pr- pretty much bossed the game, very much like uh, Philip Lahm used to do for his for Pep Guardiola's Bayern team. Absolutely, have to keep an eye on Joao Cancelo and see uh, just how effective he is in the weeks to come because he's been excellent over the last couple of games, that's for sure. Uh, Albion were fuming last night, I think, with Joao Cancelo's goal considering the flag went up early from Sean Masielis on the far side and I think they were a bit frustrated by the fact that it was probably um, a decision which encouraged the defenders to stop in their tracks, which allowed Cancelo to put the ball in the top corner. Not that I don't think the keeper would have saved it anyway, because it was a really good effort. Um, And not that I think it would have affected the outcome of the game, Ian, although it probably would have meant that they might have conceded one less goal. (laughs) In total, they conceded five. That's 17 goals in four home games that, they've conceded under Big Sam now without scoring highest goals conceded in Europe as you rightly pointed out earlier on I said at the top of the show has Big Sam bitten off more than he can chew because of course he's got this tag hasn't he that he's never been relegated from the Premier League as a manager I have a feeling that that little statistic is looking pretty grim for him now Listen, I don't know how much Sam Allardyce can chew, and it's not something I've ever really pondered. <laughs> <laughs> but this could be one of his biggest mouthfuls yet. Uh, you mentioned about the goals. I mean, taking it over the last five games, uh, they've actually conceded 22 now uh, in the last yeah. five games. Um, and next up, of course, back-to-back six-pointers with Fulham on Saturday. They've got Sheffield United next Tuesday. Those two games are really going to decide it, aren't they? Because if they if Fulham beat West Brom that's another three points there Fulham have still got another um, couple of games in hand haven't they still Um, which Mm -hmm. we're going to come to their match and and all that a little bit later on in the podcast I know but they've 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 in theory if they win those next three games Fulham over the next week or two that could be an extra nine points between them and and West Brom and it's looking 
it's looking pretty grim for them. And similarly, you know, Sheffield United are a a decent team. We've been saying this all season. So when they face them, Sheffield United, of course, it's it's got more on it for them than than West Brom. And it it is all going to be, you know, I think not necessarily decided this next week or so, but certainly it's uh, it could take a a big twist. And if Sam Allardyce is going to wrestle West Brom out of that bottom three, he needs to be winning and he needs to be winning in the next seven days. Um, otherwise, I fear mm. that Sheffield United and West Brom, you know, you can mark them as goners, and it's just who's uh, who, who, who's going to take that last uh, that 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 last place. And um, obviously, mm. we'll discuss further uh, teams that might um, be uh, making a bid for <laughs> for that position. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think he's got a real real tough. Um, task on his hands uh, Big Sam but I've seen Big Sam do it and we're saying obviously I, I live in Sunderland and stuff um, I remember being at that game where I think it was against Everton where they had to win and you know Sunderland were dead and buried I don't think they were as dead and buried as probably West Brom are in this position now um, but you know he pulled it out of the bag and he really got everybody rallied he got the stadium full something he can't do now um, and got the team going and managed to get them over the line just just Mm. by the skin of their teeth but I think really with the uh, you know I think Big Sam relies on the fans I remember him whipping wanting the I was working radio station in Sunderland at the time and he was wanting you know the club were wanting everybody sort of there and the stadium full they were practically giving tickets away to kids to fill the stadium they can't do that and without that support as well um, for, for West Brom you know in a similar sort of fashion I, I think they've got too mm. big a task unfortunately yeah 100% it's going to be tough for West Brom, no doubt about that. Pep Guardiola called Big Sam a genius before the game. Manchester City 5, West Brom at Albion nil. the final score. Crystal Palace 1, West Ham 2 was another final score last night in the Premier League. Uh, West Ham now into the top four in the Champions League spots, actually nudging Liverpool out of that top four bracket, albeit there are games to take place tonight and the shape of the table may well change uh, by the close of play this evening but they managed to get the job done at Selhurst Park Wilfred Zaha scored an early goal for Crystal Palace Marley it feels so cliche and I feel like West uh, I feel like Crystal Palace fans will probably tear their hair out listening to every media outlet and every podcast on the Premier League out there when everyone always says oh they're not the same without Wilfred Zaha but is it a cliche because it's true because after three minutes he puts them into the lead and it just feels that he is head and shoulders their best player. Like it's not even close. Like the link-up play, I think it was a, a, a tale of three touches. He flicked it into the hold-up man, Benteke. Benteke played it back into his path. He shifted it out of his feet, smashed it into the bottom corner. Three minutes in, Palace have the lead. He's some player. Yeah, he's a great player. But you know, I mean, you mentioned you know Crystal Palace fans getting getting annoyed if they were listening to it and people saying the same old thing. Well. My answer to that would be, well, show us something different then. Show us that it's a lazy comparison because he's without him, they're nothing. They're, they're a poor side, Crystal Palace. Let's not, let's not get that twisted. They are not a good team um, in any way. There's no one in that team other than Zaha you would look at and go, I'd love to have him at my club if you were a top 10 club or a top 6 club. And even nobody nobody even wants Zaha. The fact that the guy's been trying to leave the club for the last two and a half years, non-stop, every transfer window. I want to leave, I want to leave. Oh, well, no one wants to buy you, so where do you want to go? Oh, uh, all right, well, I'll sign a new contract then. And it's just, it's like Groundhog Day with, with Zaha. It's like, I want to leave, but nobody wants to buy me, so I'll just stay here for a bit longer, pull my face a bit, moan a bit, and then ultimately still put in good performances that, that prove that, He's got more than what Crystal Palace can offer him. And, uh, you know, mm. last night they 
they went one 0 up and just instantly caved in. It was almost like yeah, I don't... six minutes it took for West Ham to equalise. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't long, was it? And then obviously they couldn't deal with Suchek. You know, he's what a player he is. I think if there was a modern day Fellaini for for David Moyes, then it's, then it's <laughs> that guy. But um, you know, Palace Palace just didn't didn't do anything. They don't didn't, don't defend particularly well. They're not particularly creative. They've got a load of what I would call good solid pros who aren't spectacular in any way. Like Cahill, mm. McCarthy, MacArthur, Milivievich. They don't do anything. They don't they don't sort of progress the ball. They don't create chances uh, enough. They don't have a, a striker who can um, finish things for them. They're another sign that Mateta, but obviously he didn't play last night and they're hoping mm. he can do something. I, I just think everything links back to the fact that Roy Hodgson is 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 an old man now, I think he, he looks set to retire. Um, I think Crystal Palace needs to be brave and go in a, a new direction if they want to move forward as a club, in my opinion. I think Roy Hodgson's one of the few Premier League managers that still wears a, a shirt and tie to games. I saw him sporting a tie last night and I thought to myself, it's been a while since I've seen a manager uh, don the old suit and tie. But I think I said the game finished 2-1 earlier. It actually finished 3-2 to West Ham. Uh, so my apologies there. Michi Batshuayi did score very late on his first goal for Crystal Palace since his return to the club on loan from Chelsea. But Marley picked up on it a minute ago, Ian. Thomas Socek's been absolutely remarkable since his arrival from the Czech Republic. A very underwhelming signing I think uh, in the uh, in the January window on loan last year and then of course they made the deal permanent in the summer and he made an impact for West Ham a year ago when he arrived on loan I think it was from Slavia Prague and you know he's brought his mate over Vladimir Sufal as well who's made a decent impact seven goals from midfield this season Marley called him the modern day Fellaini um, it's no coincidence I suppose that under David Moyes this guy is, hmm. is showing how good he can be yeah, I, this is the thing. I mean, we'll talk about David Moyes in a sec, but um, on to uh, Suchek. He's he's the king of headers in the Premier League, I was reading. he's uh, I mean, he's getting these goals from midfield, but he's scoring more goals with his head. He's scored more headers than any other player in the Premier League since he uh, arrived, well, just short of a year ago. Um, <laughs> so he's the, he's the king of headers, which is obviously a great um, asset to have with you know set pieces and uh, things like that. So he's uh, certainly delivering. And, and as you say, he's, he's kind of gone under the radar. And I always love it when, when these players come in who fans probably go fans like Jim for example is a big you know West Ham fan but like, what will we sign him for who's he never heard of him and then they come into actually legends you know in, in the space of a few months it's, it always works great like <laughs> yeah. that but David Moyes and I was watching the highlights last night on the, on the TV and you know they were talking on there about it and, and it's it's evident to to see and we, we talk about giving managers time to do their thing and, and we've mentioned Pep Guardiola before and not panicking and and David Moyes I think it, we're starting to get the David Moyes of Everton back do you know what I mean in that 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 solid team and whilst they're not the greatest up front mm. but they're still scoring the goals and I know that that's you know an area that probably West Ham fans will be concerned about a little bit but more than anything he's shoring up that defense and they're they're becoming yeah. a real kind of hard team to break down like the team that David Moyes built at Preston where they were a pain in the backside to play against because they were just so hard to break down they didn't really score heaps of goals but you know they 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 took their chances when they came along but they were hard to score against and same with Everton that Everton team they were grinding results out and Mm. and that seems to be where we get in West Ham now is starting to get that sort of uh, thing and and I know that that's there's there's a West Ham way and fans will say well (laughs) we don't play like that but you know in in the Premier League you want to be not conceding goals because if you're conceding goals you're sat in Sam Allardyce 
Allardyce's chair and mm. Sam Allardyce quite likes his chair and he doesn't want you sitting in and, it but anyway and he's um, already managed West Ham so I'm not sure uh, well, yeah. he's running out of clubs <laughs> yeah. to manage to be honest he's, uh, yeah he's dealt he, with them already he's managed both of these teams Crystal Palace and West Ham um, <laughs> but I think it's a really good point actually and, and David Moyes obviously we know what he did at Everton and since he left Everton to go to Manchester United what eight years ago now um, his career has certainly been on a downwards trajectory but this certainly has been a, a reprieve for him I guess and you know the thing is with West Ham and we talk about the West Ham way those supporters were promised when they moved to the London Stadium European football and they were delivered that for one season I think um, after they left Upton Park Slavin Bilic was the manager and Dimitri Payet was scoring all those goals and then the season after their first season in the London Stadium they did get European football but since then it's been more of a fight to stave off relegation than getting into the top four Uh, and you know obviously it looks likely that they're going to drop out of the top four by the time the evening is done, Marley. But still, West Ham United in the Champions League spots. That I mean, that's the sort of thing that you're thinking and scratching your head and going, well, how's that happened? I guess David Moyes does deserve the credit. Yeah, I mean, if you'd, you'd said to anyone that, you know, that board at that club are going to be in a, a Champions League spot, you know, halfway through the season, <laughs> albeit with games to play, you'd have never believed it, would you? I mean, the <laughs> stuff they do off the pitch is just awful. Like, it's always just so bad. Um you know, even then the recruitment usually goes wrong. You know, recent years assigned, Halle didn't work for one reason or another. I thought it would if they give him time, but, you know, they got rid of him. There's Felipe Anderson, who looks completely without a club and doesn't look interested anymore, out at Porto, can't get a game. Um, and everything doesn't add up to a team on the pitch doing so so well this season. I think they started off poor, even Newcastle beat them, which is... You know, in, in in hindsight, a, a bit of a shocker. Um, but yeah, I mean, Suchek's banging them in. I mean, I've never seen a defensive midfielder with such a a goal threat of of where he's. He, he seems to know where the ball's going to be all the time. He ends up getting in the perfect spot for a, a tap in or a a header like he uh, like he did last night. And yeah, I mean, everything's going well at West Ham. I think the the, the one time they've had a decent couple of transfer windows. You've seen the the performances on the pitch start to match it. I think you know Suchek and Kufal have been brilliant uh, since signing. You go back uh, six months earlier, you get Bowen. Bowen's been a really good player. Ben Rama's starting to settle in and get a, a starting spot every week now. And all of a sudden, West Ham look like a problem when you play him. Even Craig Dawson last night. I think you know he's not the best defender, but you won't uh, you won't find mm-hmm. many who score more than him. I think when he was at West Brom, he was almost one of the top scorers. When West Brom were fighting relegation each each year under like Tony Pulis and whatever, but he's he's got loads of goals um, from set pieces, and you seen that last night. He popped up with another one, and yeah, West Ham everything's going well for them for once. Crystal Palace two, West Ham three. Final score at Selhurst Park last night. West Ham fourth in the Premier League table. You wouldn't believe it, would you? Well, it's happening now. To talk about Newcastle, Marley, Newcastle United one, Leeds United two. Another club that Big Sam has managed, actually, funnily enough. Spotting a pattern, aren't we? <laughs> I know we are spotting a pattern. Newcastle scored a goal, Marley. They got on the score sheet. Um, <laughs> you were concerned as to whether that would even happen. Obviously, it ended in a two-one defeat, but. Steve Bruce, for me, sounded like he was a broken record and he was on repeat. He said, once again after the game, I saw enough from my side to give me confidence going forward. I presume you didn't. Um, but how happy are you that you managed to find a goal from something? Uh, does it show any sort of progress or improvement in your opinion? Um, well, you mentioned him signing like a broken record and he has done for the last three or four games, you know, constant defeats. And he, mm. he says things like, mm. I've I seen something today. 
and last night it wasn't as bad. Uh, you can you can if if you just judge his comments on on what he said last uh, what he saw last night, that's fine because we did look much much the better side in the second half and for the last fifteen minutes of the first half we we were the ones bossing it and it was much um, better than it has been in previous weeks. But I mean, he said this. Um, he said this. Almost exact same thing against uh, after we lost two 0 to Villa and we had one shot on target and he said something like I seen something today and there simply wasn't anything there to see there wasn't any attacking output at all and he comes out with this tired sort of sentence of oh well I seen something and I think the thing he seen was that he that he got Saint Maximan on the pitch and that isn't a, that's not a thing to see that's just something that happens it's not you know something to see is like. A tactic that might work in future weeks, um, and you know it just wasn't there against Villa. So to say the same thing again, it was slightly more warranted against uh, Leeds last night because we were much better in the second half. We deserved our goal, I thought. Um, but the same old thing happened. I mean, we scored, and we were still um, doing all right once we scored for that first couple of minutes. But as soon as Leeds had their first attack after we levelled the game, they scored with it, and it was. Just like a body blow, it was instantly back to square one. Um, you know, it took us what f- forty minutes of play to get um, to get level the first time, and they scored with half an hour to go. So by that basis, mm-hmm. if you need forty minutes of pressure to score a goal, you've now only got twenty five minutes to do it because that's when that's when Leeds scored. And although we had chances, we hit the bar twice, and Melia made a couple of really good saves, but still, um, you know. On the basis of it, we might have deserved a point. We probably did deserve a point. I think Bielsa said as much in his press conference afterwards the game, after the game. But, you know, you don't always get what you deserve in the Premier League. We've won games we didn't deserve to win this season. We've drew games we didn't deserve to win, uh, to get a point from. And last night, we mm. probably didn't get what we deserved. But that's how it is when you're, you're towards the bottom. And now mm. we go into to Everton at the weekend with another sort of task on our hands. Yeah, absolutely. Things looking grim for Newcastle, it has to be said. As for Leeds, I, th- I wouldn't say it was vintage Bielsa Leeds last night, Ian. Uh, and Leeds rarely do keep a clean sheet. Newcastle obviously did score, as we mentioned just <laughs> no. now. But as for the sort of reporters that I've seen that went to the game and the journalists covering Leeds United, it very much felt like, as I just said, not vintage, but enough at this moment in time to to keep Leeds at arm's length from any imminent danger. I'm not saying they're going to go down, but but certainly some of the results uh, over the last month or so haven't quite been what some supporters would have wanted. Yeah, Leeds have had a bit of a wobbly patch for one reason or another. Um, they've not had a full complement of players to choose from. I, thought, I don't think Leeds have had a full complement of players to choose from ever this season which I know is a thing that goes for for many clubs but for Leeds they've not had their first choices out um, and that didn't help I mean Calvin Phillips got banned and so they've, they've been on a bit of a, um, a, a bit of a wobble and without Calvin Phillips Leeds are much more unstable and um, he certainly brought a lot more calm to the team last night Leeds it was vintage Leeds in the fact that they um, took the lead and had a heap, hat full of chances and could have been 5-0 up at half time but actually were lucky to be going in with any sort of lead um, I think that <laughs> they do they, and, and they were all over the shop in the second half and, and, and I know that, that a lot of people will take heart from how Newcastle played in the second half Newcastle certainly pressed Leeds a lot more so it shows that they can do it but Leeds should have had um, should have had the game out of sight by then in all truth and Patrick Bamford he just I mean <laughs> Bless him, he scored a lot of goals, and he, but he, he also misses a lot as well. 
And you do mm. wonder if if you had a uh, you know one of Europe's greatest strikers on the end of some of these crosses from the likes of Rafinha and, and so on that more of them might go in the net. But you know that's one of those things for for the future, I suppose. But Leeds got the win, um, as Marcelo Bielsa pointed out afterwards that you know Leeds have been on a on a losing streak and and he was desperate to to get out of that. He said you know the, the when you're in a run like this, the thing you need to do is just win at all costs. And uh, they get the they got the uh, three points. They've got the win and uh, that streak has, has ended but yeah. for Newcastle uh, that that streak continues and um, you have to be a little bit concerned because Leeds now you know I don't like you say I don't think there's any danger of going down but there's certainly a lot happier sitting with 14 points clear of the bottom three mm. halfway through the season um, and Newcastle it, it does seem to be that, you know Fulham win these games in hand and they're going to be potentially uh you know, sort of getting dragged into it. It's, uh, it's getting close. Dicey it's times. Getting dicey close. times. I, I said this would happen at the start of the season. Just call me Nostradamus and ask me for the lottery numbers. <laughs> well, please, I could. I think there's a rollover this weekend, so that'd be nice. Uh, Newcastle hey. United 1, Leeds United 2, final score. Final game we're going to talk about in this section of the podcast that took place last night. It took place at St. Mary's Stadium on the South Coast. Southampton 1, Arsenal 3. Arsenal avenged their FA Cup defeat. Of course, they are the holders of the competition, but they were dumped out by the Saints. Uh, and just three days later, they rocked up to the same venue, St. Mary's, for a Premier League game. And this time they managed to get the job done, Marley. Um, let's look at Southampton, first of all. They've gone off the boil, I think, now. Uh, no win in seven games for them, or one win in seven, something along those lines. Basically, they've dropped down to 11th in the Premier League table after what many were calling a chance for them to you know, possibly cement themselves in the Europa League spots. It seems to have really gone downhill for them. Yeah, it does. They've gone they've gone slightly um, off the boil, as you say, and they've, you know, had a few dodgy results recently. But I think, you know, looking at last night in, in particular, they struggled with, um, with picking a team, basically. They've got 10 first-team members of the squad out injured. Um, most importantly, I think the two genuine starters they have every week um, were missing last night, and that's the full-backs. And I think that's a, a really big way of how Southampton play. They they press a lot from their from their fullbacks, um, and you know the two lads that came in. I think it was Valerie and Vokins. I mean Vokins has never never really started a game in the Premier League for for Southampton. He might have had a few appearances here and there, but you're asking a lot of him to come in and deal with Saka, Smithrow, Pepe, Lacazette, and slot into that back four and not make uh, not you know, have it look like it's having too much effect on how the game's going. But I think uh, Arsenal Arsenal did really well to to take their chances and to, to put Southampton away because I think Arsenal can sometimes look a bit like wasteful with the chances. Um and last night, you know, they scored three goals. Pepe took his goal pretty well. You know, he he didn't look like a complete waste of seventy million quid last night, which is kinda rare for, for him. Um but he took his goal pretty well. Saka Obviously, he did uh, really well as well. You know, he looks a quality player, especially on the right hand side now, which is something I didn't really think of um, a few weeks ago when he was playing left wing. He, he looked like a left winger, but he's finding his uh, finding his feet on the right. And then Lacazette popping up with a goal as well. And then you know everything's going well for Arsenal at the minute. Mm. We couldn't have said that in December when they couldn't you know string a pass together, never mind win a game. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're look at them now. They're they're in eighth. Three points off sixth, um, you know. Get they've played more than everyone in terms of games, but still with everyone taking points off each other in the top seven, 
and well in the top 10 you know Arsenal are by no means out of this race for at least the Europa League I think since Boxing Day Ian Arsenal have won uh, all but one of their games and you know it has been a turnaround in form it's almost been like the flick of a switch in ways it's been odd why so inconsistent because obviously they lost in the FA Cup at the weekend um, which in the context of the run they're on looks like a little bit of a blip but same opposition three days later um, and yet they looked reasonably comfortable so you know is there any reason for the inconsistencies they, they didn't have Aubameyang last night either who's still uh, missing with a personal issue so I mean that will give them a bit of confidence too that they managed to score some goals without um, sort of their, their talisman despite Aubameyang's lack of goal scoring threat this season anyway. Yeah, it seems a while since we were uh, saying about Arsenal. Well, you know, the bookies had Arsenal at twenty to one to go down at one point, didn't they? Just before Christmas, and since, as you say, mm-hmm. since Boxing Day, they um, I think they've conceded um, fewer goals. Uh, only Man City, sorry, have only only Man City have conceded fewer goals, and they're uh, second to to Man City as being the form team in the league. And maybe that's it. They're, they're conceding fewer goals. They've definitely tightened up their defence, and 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 they're all scoring a few as well. And I think. Uh, Arteta has given some of the the younger players in the in the squad uh, a bit of a chance as well, and we've we've seen um, uh, various players coming through um, uh, that have that have helped the team out, and and maybe maybe the Urzel saga being resolved as well um, has maybe improved the mood of the team in some way. I mean, it's it was like a cloud hanging over the club in 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 some respect, and. You know, we've all worked in offices where you've got that person who's a bit of a, a bad influence, <laughs> and you know, it, and, it, and it just it just distracts away from the job, doesn't it? Uh, when you've got somebody sat on the sidelines chipping away, and it, it, you don't know what sort of talking's been going on in corners. That's the worst thing that can happen in any in any company team environment any team environment it's Mm -hmm. the worst thing you've got people talking in corners you've got uh you know a fractured team and and some people over there are whispering on breaks and you know the the and these days i suppose with whatsapp messages rumors gossip going around you know i think the Ertzil thing being resolved you know at christmas time obviously they knew that they were getting him on the on the move these these transfers don't happen overnight they must have known he was on his way and it's like oh ding dong the witch is dead maybe maybe that's it I don't know <laughs> well I've seen some interesting rumours about Ertzil's move to Fenerbahce that apparently the, the Fenerbahce board have issued a, a call to arms for supporters you know those text this number to donate two quid <laughs> charitable <laughs> no. causes yeah. supposedly the Fenerbahce board have asked supporters <laughs> to donate a couple of quid to help fund the Ertzil signing if you can't afford it don't sign him I, that would be the simple say- answer wouldn't it? Wait, wait while Mike Ashley hears of that. <laughs> don't give him any ideas. Why don't more more fans do that? Why don't more teams do that? Imagine, I, the, if you could play into that that um, tribalism of of um, of support, why wouldn't you give two pound? Like if you were mm. like close to signing a player, can everyone give us two quid? People wouldn't. Like not do it. I think lots of teams would yeah. do it. But then you'd end up signing Joel Linton, <laughs> and you have to give thirty thousand people oh, their money yeah. back. <laughs> yeah, I'd be trying to. I'd be trying to. You know, get your two quid back. I want that two quid back. Exactly. Good luck trying to get two quid off my Ashley. Jesus Christ. Yeah, and also the problem with that is uh, you'll end up with clubs like Hashtag United signing Lewandowski <laughs> or something stupid like that. Um, oh, clubs with massive support bases on the internet will end up uh, obviously getting the best signings. Interesting debate to be had. Um, Southampton 1, Arsenal 3. Time for a quick break now on Football Social Daily. And in the second half of the podcast, we'll look ahead to tonight's games, including the start of a new era at Chelsea. 
Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. This is your daily Premier League podcast, seven days a week, a brand new show for you. So hit the subscribe button and that way you won't ever miss an episode of the podcast again. Time to look ahead to tonight's top flight fixtures. Alongside me on Football Social Daily, Miley Anderson and Ian Brannan. And it's time to talk Chelsea. We've done it a few times already this week, but now their first game under a new gaffer. Life in the Thomas Tuchel era begins for the Blues. Whether he'll be in the dugout or not, I'm not too sure. Do you think we'll see a, a kind of a classic new manager bounce, Marley, even if he is just sat watching from the stands and perhaps not in the dugout? Uh, yeah, I think so, because even though he is in the dugout, he's clearly picked the team. He's clearly said, you know, I want him to play here, I want him to play this system, um, and he's sort of unofficially in charge. Um, I, I think even if Lampard was in charge, I think Chelsea would roll over Wolves. Um, Wolves aren't great at the minute. They're not they're, up to much this year, are they? No, no they don't look a, a threat. They don't look genuinely capable of going and beating, you know, a team fighting at the, the top end of the league kind of thing. So... Um, yeah, I would expect to Chelsea to win in any circumstances, but now you bring in, you know, that you ignite that hunger in all the players and say, you know, you want to impress a new boss, this is your chance, because technically he hasn't picked this team, so you're you're all sort of um, auditioning kind of thing for a for a place in the in the mm. team, and yeah, I think um, I think this whole Tuchel move, I think it'll bring home sort of the the ruthless nature of football because I think he will bring more to Chelsea than Lampard did and even though you know people you might say and I'm one of them I think Lampard deserved more time but mm. I still think Tuchel's a top top manager and almost even though some things can be harsh sometimes I think hindsight and and the long run can be um better and it can it can prove to be a good decision and I've just got that feeling with Tuchel I think he will mm. be the better decision for Lampard longer term than um, than Chelsea. For me, though, it feels like shades of Andre Villas-Boas. Remember when they brought him in? He was a young coach who had done good things on the continent and then came to Chelsea and it just flopped. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it feels very, very similar in terms of an appointment. The obvious link, Marley, would be that Thomas Tuchel is a German and the two German signings that Chelsea spent a lot of money on in the summer, Havertz and Werner, haven't performed. And you talk about him picking the team. Lampard was criticised for playing Timo Werner out wide rather than through the middle where he was so prolific for for RB Leipzig last season. Do you think we will see an immediate change from Tuchel and he might just completely go, right, rip up what Lampard said, you're playing through the middle, you're playing here, you're playing here and we're going to go with this? Um, Probably, yeah. Um, He's bound to have his own ideas. He's very strong-minded, Tuchel. Um, He's not one to... To, to bend. Doesn't he? Doesn't he take like an hour picking his outfits before the game? He's got them all hung up, doesn't he? Or is that Julian Nagelsmann? I, I don't I think know. That might be Nagelsmann, well, actually. Yeah, Jerry, uh, judging by some of the clobber Nagelsmann's wore on a touchline, you'd probably say it's him. Um, yeah, I don't know. Tuchel, he's he's strong-minded. He's not someone who will sort of go in and be like, "Right, guys, how do you want to play?" I mean, he's not from the Steve Bruce. Uh, school of coaching where he asks the players what they fancy doing and training every week. So he's got his own ideas. Um, he'll he'll have he'll have spent the last month knowing that Lampard's under pressure, and, and he'll have made his mind up a month ago about 
you know, Chelsea jobs coming available, do I want it? If so, he'll probably have watched all of Chelsea's games this season. He'll probably come in with a, a set thing that he wants to do and say, right, we want to play 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3 or, you know, 5-1-3 or whatever it is. Um, you know, that's not even a formation, 5-1-3. There's only 10 men and he would be a good coach if he did that. But um, Chelsea will, I think Chelsea will improve. I think he'll he'll get what Havertz has got. I think Lampard... One of the big criticisms is 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 Havertz. You can't deny that as much as um, when you've seen Chelsea play, he was playing out wide, he was playing on the right. You know, as good as he might be there, he might be able to play there, but he didn't create his reputation in Germany. He didn't become a seventy million pound player by playing on the on out on the right or on the left to try and accommodate Mason Mount or Pulisic or all the other attacking talents you've got at the Chelsea mm. side. So. Um, it wouldn't surprise me to see Tuchel go back to to what he's good at and playing him in the number ten position. And if he doesn't work mm-hmm. in six months' time, he doesn't work. But you've still got to give him the chance to um, to impress where he did so well in Germany. So yeah. I think um, I think he'll do that, and we'll we'll see something more promising out of Havertz. We've spoken loads about why Timo Werner and Kai Havertz haven't performed, Ian, but I've got a bit of a sort of a philosophical question for you, I suppose. Mm. In the times that we're living in with coronavirus, where everything's shut down and travel is limited and you can't get close to people and you're restricted from seeing friends and family, as a, a young man in your early 20s, moving from a country where obviously you're from, you've grown up, you've played football there your whole life, to somewhere like England, where the Premier League is a different breed in terms of the the kind of the physicality of the league the style of the league and the only people that you know in your squad that you can speak your native language with um Havertz is English I'm sure is very good as a as are a lot of young Germans English these days um Tony Rudiger uh, Christian Pulisic speaks a bit of German because he played at Dortmund before he signed for Chelsea um and obviously his, his teammate Timo Werner that's about it and you know you're you're pitching up in a new country with a lot of pressure, with a big price tag and a new division, um, and you don't have that comfort blanket of family or being able to go out and express yourself and getting used to the surroundings. Is there anything to be said for the fact that these two young men have come over in a really tough time for everyone, not just football players or general human beings, uh, and that might be having an effect on their performances? Well, as the um, unofficial philosopher of the sports social football social <laughs> podcast. Um, I can compare the um, journey, I suspect, from when I moved out from my uh, parents' house in Dewsbury and went to live in Sunderland. It was uh, almost mm. uh, comparable to, to what these boys are going through because there was a language diff- diff- difference and, <laughs> uh, and a change of uh, culture. Um, undoubtedly, it must be really, I mean, seriously, it must be really tough it must be mind-boggling i know people will go well they've got loads of money and they can do what they want but you know moving moving to a new country has you know that's a big undertaking it's it's confusing you don't know where stuff is i mean i've moved around the country quite this country quite a bit uh, for work and and partly it's exciting when you move somewhere new as, as you'll you'll know yourselves you know you moved from from home and you different places now but you know it's partly exciting mm. but it's also pretty confusing of not knowing where stuff is I, me- I remember when I moved to Cardiff which is not, I'm not comparing my move to Cardiff the, the one that uh, Havertz has undergone but you know it, you, you go there and, and people will be talking about shops and be talking about oh, I went to Debenhams uh, to you know go shopping or I went here or I went there and, and you just have no 
you know, geographical kind of appreciation of where anything is. And, and it, it is weird. And you, you are living in your own world for, for quite a while. And it must, it, must be, it must be awkward. Yeah, there's an argument as well, Ian, isn't there? That obviously they spend a lot of time together on the training ground as groups of players and stuff. But off the field, the camaraderie, the team bonding of the lads going out for a Nando's or going for a pint or two down the pub or going on a night out or playing a game of darts or snooker or whatever, you can't do that now playing a game of golf you can't do it with the the situation that we're in so I do think that is having an effect I I think so I mean you know you you are at the training ground and that's work you know you're working hard yeah you might have a bit of banter and all that but you know footballers yeah they do get paid a lot of money but they do actually do a lot of work they do a lot of running and a lot of you know physical work that most of us would would wince at doing for a couple of minutes and they do it for hours in the course of the morning it it is it is hard work they you know you can argue if they're if they're worth it or not till the cows come home but they, they do work hard they are athletes but yeah going home and then being just stuck in your flat uh, or hotel perhaps some of them I don't know where they're living um, it is weird because you've got your Xbox you've got your phone you've got your TV and we do hear stories of the mental health of players being affected even in good times Um, I'm not saying that their mental health is affected right now but it wouldn't surprise me. You know, you hear of players going down the gambling route, you know, of getting involved in various things like that um, to sort of pass the time because the days can be quite long when you're not allowed to go out anywhere. And if you don't have any friends or anybody to talk to, it must be it must be tricky. And I think we will hear of stories of, of um, you know, issues down that route further down the line. Mm. I'm pretty sure because, as I say, it happens in good times, let alone now. It must be, yeah. must, it must be tough. It must be tough. It must be weird being in a place that is not your home and not knowing anybody. It has to be. Hundred percent, hundred percent agree with that. And obviously, it's a it's a really interesting debate to be had. Intriguing to see how Thomas Tuchel uh, deals with the two young German signings who was supposedly set to make such an impact for Chelsea hasn't quite transpired that way. The new era uh, under the Chelsea manager begins tonight at Stamford Bridge as they welcome Wolves. Manchester United are also in action. They play Sheffield United. Sheffield United, of course, rock bottom of the Premier League table, Marley. It should be comfortable for them, all things considered. If they are going to challenge for the title this season, they already are Manchester United, but if they are to maintain that um, after City's victory against West Brom, they're going to have to go and do the same against Sheffield United, aren't they? Yeah, I think um, you know everyone's talking about Man City at the minute and how well they're playing and how they're you know, really battering teams. And I think Man United have got to go and try and do something similar. Not that they have to sort of prove themselves, but they do have to sort of say that, you know, we're... We're here. We can we can kill teams as well. You know we can we can put teams to the sword who were meant to. Um, and it's 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 a very similar game for for United tonight than City was last night because you know you're playing somebody who who are at the bottom of the table for a reason kind of thing. So you know they don't defend particularly well. Sheffield United they're, they're missing a new um, a few centre backs as well tonight as they as they have been all season. I think Egan suspended. Um, they're obviously missing uh, O'Connell, who's a long-term thing. So it's going to be another patched-up defence. Um, and usually mm-hmm. this game, this game um, causes goals. I think they've had 14 goals um, in the three games that they've played in the league um, in the last since Sheffield United came back up. I think Man United haven't failed to score three times in both um, in in all mm. games against Sheffield United so you can see them running in a few goals tonight and I think it'll be a, a morale boost to say you know if, if City are scoring goals and, and battering teams at the top of the league then then we can as well um, and yeah I think it'll just 
it'll be a routine win, I think, for Man United. They can't see Sheffield United going to Old Trafford and, and up to it in the apple cart like uh, like mm. they might have last season. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think you're right with the goal scoring for Manchester United uh, against Sheffield United in games gone by. I think Anthony Martial scored a hat-trick against Sheffield United last season. So he'll f- he'll be full of confidence and I fancy him to start tonight uh, for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Uh, for Sheffield United, you touched upon them earlier, Ian. They, they're almost certainly... Uh, going to go down aren't they I mean, it's just a matter of damage limitation I think I, I don't want to write them off though because I know they're gutsy and they've got spirit but I feel that they've already made the uphill task too steep for them to, to try and get themselves out of it yeah, well, we already know that they've they've had the best, the, the worst season, um, the worst start to a, a, a top flight season, pretty much in history. Um, they've won one game, five points on the board at this stage. Um, but that said, like you say, they're not completely, they're not completely mathematically out of it, incredibly. And if they go on a, they're going to have to go on a, a, a pretty much undefeated run, I think, for the next, um, you know, pretty much the rest of the season, almost to, to probably ensure that they get out of it. But that said, they're only um, what twelve points behind Brighton, which you know it's not completely out of sight. We're not talking twenty twenty five points out where you will be saying they're completely done. So it, because it's so tight at the bottom, um, and this is not a normal season, as we've said, you know the, the the matches are coming faster than normal. Still no fans in the grounds, all this kind of thing. Um, I, yeah, I think you'd be a brave man to to bet that they would stay up. I wouldn't completely rule it out, though, oddly, but it's it's certainly not looking good and getting a hammering from Man United tonight is certainly not going to help. It's pretty likely that Manchester United will end up back on top of the top flight table by the end of proceedings tonight. Two sides with big league aspirations of their own this season, however, also do battle. This one at Goodison Park between Everton and Leicester. Of course, Leicester, though, without Jamie Vardy Marley. And we've said that that could be a big miss for them on podcasts in the last uh, couple of weeks. I mean, I guess this is their chance tonight to show against Everton, another side with similar ambitions to them, that they can cope without their key striker. Yeah, that's always going to be the the thing for Leicester, isn't it? Can you can you cope without your main goal scorer and your main threat? Um, because as much as he and Acho showed early promise in his career, he's he's nowhere near the level um, required to replace someone like Vardy. Um, I think it was sort of interesting that um, in the cup last week, Leicester didn't play with um, a striker. I think they played uh, with. No, I think they might have played Perez up front, who's not really a proper centre forward. So, you know, they're, they're clearly sort of trying to adapt their system to a, a Vardy-less way of playing um, and get more goals from the wingers. Like Harvey Barnes has got a, quite a few goals this season. Madison's scored in his last four, I think. Cengiz Under got one in the FA Cup, and they're probably hoping they could, some of them can chip in um, against Everton because it's going to be a tough test. I would normally back Leicester the way they're playing, but. With Vardy out for a couple of weeks, um, with hip surgery, it's you know it's not a small, not a small injury. You could you could say that's gonna, um, you know, you wouldn't be surprised to see that rumble on for for four or five weeks rather than um, two or three, which it's meant to be. I, I was reading on the press conference yesterday; it's only meant to be two or three weeks, but still, you've got to come up with a way of playing. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Leicester. Well, I would be surprised because I don't think they're going to do it, but I, I wouldn't rule out a little loan move for somebody towards now between now and the end of the season if you can find the right striker available to go and get in for six months you know we were talking on yesterday's podcast about Edin Dzeko if you could go and say to Edin Dzeko what about six months in Leicester we're trying to push for the top four 
you know, um, we could be in the Champions League. We're already in the Europa League. We need a striker. Do you fancy it for six months? You know, why not? Why not test your test the uh, transfer <laughs> market there? See what he says because he's unhappy at Roma. He doesn't like the coach and blah 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 and everything like that. He's still got quality, and yeah, you know, they've got to find a way of playing without Vardy. Um, whether they can do that, I'm not sure, but mm. we'll have to see tonight because it's uh, it's a tough test against Everton who have picked up a bit of form recently. Yeah, absolutely. How big a statement would an Everton win be? Because Rio Ferdinand, Ian, said recently that he thought Everton was still in the title race. And, you know, Leicester have already been tipped as a side that are in with a shout of winning the league. I don't think anyone here thinks that they are going to do it, but certainly they're they're in the race, no doubt. So, you know, if Rio's saying that Everton uh, are also in with a shout, if they beat Leicester, I guess that does kind of put the cat amongst the pigeons. I'm not sure what... Rio Ferdinand um, has been um, enjoying, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure that I'm not sure Everton are, particularly in the title race, being in seventh position. By by that token, I think um, everybody in the top half of the table is probably in the in the title race. I, I see probably what he's saying that they are they, they've probably got more in the tank than they've shown recently. But I think that they're on 32 points now. Yeah, they've got a game or two in hand, but they've. I think that Man United and Man City <laughs> and probably Leicester are just that. F- you know that just that little bit too far in front to to catch them up. I wouldn't rule them out getting in the top six or the top four. I think that's doable. They're still eight off the magic forty points needed to stave yeah. off relegation. So you've got, yeah, yeah, you've got yeah. to get to that milestone first. Yeah, most most, most people uh, are still are still off that figure apart from Man City and Man United. But but yeah, I, I think they're in seventh place. I can see them finishing top six. I think that would be a decent season, wouldn't it? If you're an Everton fan, finishing yeah, top six, I think sure. that's not bad. Uh, uh, being disappointed that you don't win the Premier League at this this stage, I think, is not really realistic. Um, but Everton are having a great season. You know, they've they've had seasons before where they've been down in the bottom half and at least Everton fans have got something to, to play for and excitement of mm. you know finishing top six will be great and I say I think the, the top four is, is doable in this season where things are a little bit more up in the air and, and you can't yeah. really necessarily predict uh, how it's going to go it's not a nailed on that it's going to be Man City mm. Man United Arsenal and Chelsea in the top four it's um, West Ham <laughs> and West, where West Ham you know Leicester are there uh, Liverpool obviously knocking around Arsenal are, are coming up on the rails Spurs it's you know it's, it's going to be interesting times over the next couple of months yeah exciting season and I'm actually quite looking forward to seeing what the outcome of this one is tonight Everton against Leicester at Goodison Park two games left to discuss this is a big game at the bottom we're going to talk about now Brighton and Hove Albion against Fulham uh, Marley we've talked about Brighton and Graham Potter and how they play nice football and how they've got good players but they're five points from the relegation zone it is a five point gap that they're going to need to maintain because if they lose to Fulham who have games in hand that drags them further into trouble doesn't it yeah it does I think you know there's um there's congestion at the top of the league there's less at the bottom but I mean if Fulham win this tonight there's more congestion than than people seem to think. I think if Fulham win, it's two point. They're two points behind Brighton. I think Fulham play West Brom at the weekend. That could easily they could easily overtake them um, by Sunday. So all of a sudden that would become tighter. And then you've got Newcastle and Burnley in there still. Um, Burnley are improving, but they're not still clear of it by any means. So all of a sudden you're looking at three mm. from from possibly you know six teams getting involved in 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 that. Um, relegation battle so it's it's a really big game tonight I mean obviously as a Newcastle fan I would much rather have watched this having got three points last night because I then you know at the end of the day I wouldn't care sort of who won because we won so the gap was never gonna shorten but 
you know, tonight I'm. It's getting to a point now as a as a Newcastle fan, where I'm supporting anyone but Fulham, because Fulham are, <laughs> Fulham are that um, cut off point of of the relegation zone, and at the minute it's mm. seven points, but at the end of the weekend it could be uh, could be one separating Newcastle and Fulham. So I'm I'm hoping Brighton get it done tonight and and Brighton win, um, yeah. and, and you know it sounds bizarre because they'll go above us, but it'll still keep the gap at seven points. Um, from from now to the end of the season, and I know everyone's got to win games, and you know the the final table isn't going to be um, Fulham on sitting on twelve points for the rest of the season. But <laughs> still, you know you, you want that gap because the way we're going, we're we're crap. So we're gonna mm-hmm. take a take a few more defeats along the way, and it wouldn't surprise me to see it get really really tight down there with with the bottom six staying as yeah. it is. Because Brighton, you know, Brighton won the last game against Leeds, but. You know they they haven't got that sort of um, consistency to go and do it every week, and that's been one of their their problems since they come back into the Premier League years ago. They've never strung a win uh, winning streak together where they can go flying up the league. They've always, you know, won one and then drawn one and then lost the next two and then won one and you know it's they just go yeah. backwards and they take one step forward and two steps backwards all the time. So it's it's one of them where you know I hope they win tonight because. As I say, I want Fulham to stay down there, and I feel a bit bad saying that because I I do quite like what Fulham are doing. I like the way they play, and I like Parker, and I like young English coaches doing, you know, getting the the rewards that they they put in a little bit. Mm. But you know, hopefully he loses tonight and uh, it stays a bit uh, a bit more stretched at the bottom. They've got games in hand, Fulham, and it's a massive chance for them to gain ground tonight. They travel to the Amex Stadium to play Brighton. Final game we're going to discuss, Burnley against Aston Villa. Uh, Burnley ended the streak of Liverpool at Anfield in their last Premier League game, Ian. Um, I guess the aim for Sean Dyche is to try and put more daylight between themselves and the bottom three, but it won't be easy tonight against the Villa side who've looked very decent this year. Yeah, they were, they were raving about Villa last night on, on Match of the Day and um, I, I'm not sure I missed something, but they were talking about how Villa should be challenging for a, for a top six finish this year, which I, I know that Villa have been a decent team, but I, I didn't necessarily have them down as uh, fully, you know, being the expectation that they should be finishing top six. But uh, yeah, they are a decent team. Uh, very mu- a very different team to to Burnley. Uh, Burnley, as uh, we know, they are used to scrapping their way out of, of things that occur at the bottom of the Premier League. Uh, Sean Dyche is probably the master uh, of, of grinding a result out. And probably with that result against Liverpool as well, surely their confidence has to be at an all-time high, that uh, Burnley team. And um, looking to maybe continue that tonight against uh, against Aston Villa, I think... I, 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 Villa are not really a, a team that I'm, I'm a massive expert on, I have to say. They're, they're not one that I watch particularly closely. I did do at one point, but um, I, uh, I've sort of drifted away from knowing every inch of the Villa team, so do forgive me. But I know that they've been going well and they're a well-organised team and they, they, they could do damage against Burnley, but I think Burnley, the way they set up, I think it's going to be one of those sort of tough, mm. tough matches to, to, to grind out for, for either side. Yeah, I think the top six argument comes with Villa having games in hand due to them having that coronavirus outbreak at their training ground and thus they've got games to catch up on, which if they win, obviously they put themselves right in the picture for those Europa League spots uh, and maybe even more. Um, They've just signed Morgan Sanson. I think that's how you say it from <laughs> from Marseille. <laughs> Sounded good. Go with it. Uh, from Marseille, the last couple of days, they've been chasing him for a while. Marley, um, 
And, you know, they've shown that they are willing to strengthen their squad. And it's something that they got wrong two seasons ago when they first got into the Premier League, but something they got right in the summer regarding transfers. So they'll be hoping that Samsung can make an impact. Um, and if they do want a top finish, six, six finish this season, they do need to end up beating sides like Burnley, don't they? Yeah, they've um, they've got to show that consistency and that, that ruthlessness to, um, to beat teams that they're expected to beat. I think it's one of the hardest things in the Premier League to do because it's so competitive. Um, and you know that you can roll out all the cliches about it. anyone can beat anyone and what have you, but uh, cliches are cliches because at some at some stage they are true. I think you do have to beat teams that you're expected to beat, and that's that's a real sort of um, hard thing to do on a consistent basis. So Villa, you know, they're signing signing good players. They've done well in the transfer market this year. Um, you know, Barkley on loan for a season looks good business. Uh, they've brought in, you know, Martinez is a great signing and uh, in goal, and Matty Cash has been really good, and Sanson could be another one because I think, you know, they're almost adopting that Newcastle uh, transfer thing of um, 2013, 2014 when we just raided France for all the good players because they've signed Bertrand Traore from Lyon, he's been really good, and now they've gone to Marseille and took Sanson for a pretty decent fee of 15 million quid, so. I think he'll bring them something else, something uh, that makes them a bit more comfortable in possession and, and gets them off the pitch and brings a bit more creativity to the middle where um, they can sort of rely on Jack Grealish to play more from the left as he has been doing all, all season. So I think um, it's it's more good business and I think Burnley will do what Burnley do tonight and they'll, they'll be solid and they'll say, go on and break us down if you can and if not, we'll hit you from free kicks and the odd counter-attack and things like that. But, you know, um, yeah, it's it's one of them where it'll, you'll sort of see where Villa are, I think, tonight when, when they play a team that will give them respect and say, okay, you know, you are a pretty good team so we're going to be quite sort of conservative in our approach then. You know, um, Villa will will do that. Uh, Burnley will do that, and Villa will have to break them down, and that's the the mm. challenge of the game. But I think they'll ultimately, I think they'll get it done. More games tomorrow, and then another load of fixtures at the weekend as well. I think there's a, a, a truckload of games on Saturday, and of course, you can keep across them all right here on Football Social Daily. Make sure you hit subscribe, as I say, to never miss a podcast. Seven days a week, we'll keep you right across all of the action, including picking the bones out of tonight's games on tomorrow's show. Uh, but as for now, that's it. Thanks very much, Marley. Cheers, guys. Thank you. You never did tell me what you were doing for therapy for Newcastle's poor form. Uh, well, I have something. I have something that might help. Oh, go on. Breaking news at 11 o'clock from Newcastle United FC. Newcastle United can confirm the appointment of Graham Jones to the club's first team coaching staff. <laughs> hey. wow. I thought you were going to say Steve Bruce new contract then. <laughs> that, now, that now means that we've got a coaching staff of four Steves and a Graham. Because <laughs> we've got we've got Steve Bruce, Steve Clemens, Steve Harper, um, another another guy called Steve, and then this Graham fella. So yeah. <laughs> Great. I don't think there's been a Graham born in the UK for 15 years, is there? I'm not sure sure there has. Ian, Marley, thanks so much for your time. I've been Niall. Make sure you hit subscribe. We'll speak to you again tomorrow on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Twitter at The Sports Social. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. (laughs) 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.